This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. This is Pet Chat and welcome to Pet Chat. Today, well, the show is on. Newcastle oh, show it's is fun. on. It's <laughs> fun. And David Tabbitt, I've, what's I've, happening? I've had a great morning over there. The kids love it. They've all got the day off and there's heaps of them there. The weather's lovely, so don't hold back. Go and enjoy it. Um, very interesting to see the cattle judging occurring down there. Are there lots of cattle there? Yeah, there was a good lineup, and um, everyone's. It's amazing the cattle judging because these uh, they spend so much time getting them ready and preened up and everything. They they tend to them with TLC, tender loving care, and bring them out, and they look fantastic. And they often involve. Um, I have this vision of you know washing the cows. Yeah, and, yeah. Because you have to do it, yeah. and and then blow drying them. There's even blow dryers for cows. I know. Yeah. I know. You'd have to share your blow dryer, Danny. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mine's not big enough, I don't think. No, that's it. true. No, they've got these big ones. They're as big as vacuum cleaners. And it's amazing. And, well, the horses are the same, the horse judging. And they have the horse showing, but then they've also got the uh, jumping, show jumping. Mm. And that's in the centre ring there. And that's going on this morning, which is fantastic. Um, the dog shows. Danny's uh, big on that, of course. And Yeah, and I'm looking forward to having a look at what's going on. It's it's going over two days. There'll be uh, some some of it today. The breeds mm-hmm. will all get done in the groups, and then those dogs who win the groups will be coming in tomorrow mm. to see who wins in-show awards. Well, so I, hope you're, I hope you're back tomorrow, Danny. I hope so. To, yeah, that'll be positive. <laughs> yes. Um, I didn't get a chance to go and have a look at the chickens. I think they're my favourite, although I'm quite allergic to chickens. Um, but uh, What I, do you like about chickens, Dave? Well, you get, you know, the different styles and the little bantams and um, all the different colours, the colours that you see, particularly the roosters. Fantastic. So, and of course, they drive you crazy with that, um, the rooster (laughs) calling. Crowing. (laughs) Are they crowing all day long? I hope not. (laughs) I thought it only happened at dawn. They do come in lovely colours, though. It is amazing. And they're they're shiny feathers, a lot of them. It's quite beautiful. And if you can get the right sunlight onto them, they look quite fascinating and and wonderful. I was going to say about the cattle and also with the chickens, though, that a lot of young people get involved, which is fantastic as well. So both in the showing and the judging. And um, there are a couple of young people down there with the cattle um, as I went past today. So... Um, it's a it's a great event and it it does bring the country into uh, back into, into the city, the city. Yeah. yeah and of course then there's sideshow alley and the show bags and you know the fairy floss. Um, What's your favourite show bag, Jane? Oh, I believe <laughs> the one to go for is the Daryl Lee Pig oh. show bag. <laughs> yes, so that's where of course I'll be yeah, hitting up. Too much chocolate now. is never enough. <laughs> so the Newcastle show is on, and of course we. We've got other things to talk about this program too. Well, that's right. Um, we A couple of weeks ago, or over the last month or so, we've followed up with um, the veterinary response to the bushfires down in Victoria. And um, there was an establishment of a task force that was coordinated by the Australian Veterinary Association. And we spoke to Rosalind Nickel, who's the uh, Victorian president of the Australian Veterinary Association there. And um, we've also spoken in the past to the national president, Mark Laurie, and I think that was in the immediate aftermath of it all. But obviously the work goes on in so many different areas, and um, 
the veterinary care is is part of that as well. So we'll be finding. We'll out be talking to Roz to. soon mm-hmm. and getting an update on where they're up to with that. And canaries, canaries coming up next. Uh, Leo O'Brien is our breeder, and we'll be talking to him. Hi. Um, now on our show today, we've got Leo O'Brien, who's the president of the Five Canary Club, and he bought bought his very first canary at the age of seven, and now. 78 years later, he's still included and involved with the maintenance and breeding of these lovely birds. He's a panel judge for the breed and has judged in Australia and New Zealand. So welcome to the show, Leo. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Now, Leo, why are you into breeding and keeping fifes and canaries? Well, everybody, when I was a young fellow... Yeah, there was no televisions, no nothing, and everybody had a, to do something different where you were out and around, and I, I yeah. just got interested in canaries and been there ever since. Yeah, and you haven't ventured into other birds, it's just been uh, oh, the canaries. Just canaries, yeah. Yeah, it's a long time to be included, so I, I hear you, you're a wealth of, wealth of knowledge and information when it comes to fives in general. Well... If you're there that long, you pick up a few things as you go along. You do. Now, what colours, this is one thing with with the fives and the variety that is available, what colours do they come in and what do they look like? Well, the fife is a small bird, the smallest Mm -hmm. bird, and you get Yorkshires that are bigger birds and there are other varieties in between. Yes. But um, they come in all, they, they started off with a green a green canary was first or taken into Europe in the early days by sailors taking a present of a whistler, whistling bird home to their girlfriends and wives, and, right. and that's where it all, all came from. And the wild canary is a, is a green bird. Oh, okay. And I've often had people say to me when we've been on displays and things like that, what what's that bird there? And not realising that. The green bird was the original canary. The yellow bird is only a mutation that's come from there. Okay. In and the colour, oh sorry, and the colours are the, the, at the present time. We have uh, yellow, yes, cinnamon, yeah, white, blue, and a red, which is a cross between a canary and a finch. And from these colours come many other colours. In terms of the colours, in some aspects, do you actually get a colour because of a certain um, thing that you're feeding to it? With food? Where you get the colour from the red, fa- red factor bird. Yes. Is, gets its intensity of, it, gets, it has a red colour. Yes. But it gets an intensity of colour by feeding uh, stuff in the water. I can't think of the name of it, but it's in the water and it's a very, very rich red and it brings out more colour. Yeah. Now, if you sell those birds to people, and it's a beautiful red bird, after it molts out, it goes back to just a lightest, light red colour. The lighter red. So you've got to keep on feeding the liquid if to get that... If you want to keep that colour up, yeah. colour up. Now, you mentioned that um, the bird came to, to Europe in about f- in the 1500s. Where did it originate from? Well, uh, they came from the Canary Islands. Mm, that's why. And now they're in the Canary Islands, southern Europe and Africa. Okay. And uh, that's where the sailors brought them home from in the first place, was the, the Canary Islands. Canary Islands. And if someone wanted to go 
and and buy a singing canary because they're they're known for the lovely tunes they can sing. What do they need to look for? Because is it the male or the female that does the singing? The male does all the singing. Okay. The, the female makes uh, tweeting noises like that, you know. But the, the male is the whistler. Is the whistler. And in terms of food for canaries, what's the best diet you could give your canary? Well, I feed mine on plain canary seed, tonic mix, and soaked seed yes. that I soak through the breeding time, yep. and any seeding grasses that I can find. Okay. They must have something like that in greenery, you know, from the bok choy and stuff from the, from the shop. Now, this weekend, the your club is hosting an exhibition at the Pet Shop Boys store at Mayfield West, and there's going to be about 30 to 40 different birds there. What are some of the varieties that we can expect to see? Well, I think you'll mainly find fifes. Fifes, yes. There could be finches. Yes. And uh, actually, I haven't been in touch with my secretary because yep. he's been away. Yes. He's had to go up north. And I'm not sure exactly what birds are there, but I know there'll be canaries and finches. That's right, to have a look with all the different colours. Well, thank you very much for your time. And it was lovely to have you on your show. And we'll get to catch up another time. Uh, Pleasure to be there. Bye, Leah. To NURFM 103.7, you're listening to Pet Chat. It's 28 past 12 and David Tabret. A little while ago, as you said, we talked... Yes. Two vets in Victoria. We did, and we spoke to, uh, first of all, to the National President, Mark Laurie, National President of the Australian Veterinary Association, in the immediate aftermath. And what happened then was the Veterinary Association got together and have set up a task force, and we spoke to the Victorian uh, Divisional President, Rosalind Nicholl, and we've got her back on the phone again this afternoon to give us an update on how that's going and where things are up to. So ha- how are you, Ros? Well, David, thank you. Hi, and um, uh, as I said, we spoke uh, we spoke before. The um, Veterinary Association have established this task force. What's the role of the task force now um, in dealing with the issues as they're occurring down there in Victoria? Well, we still have some um, wildlife needing attention coming out of the Wilson's Promontory area. Mm-hmm. Um, so the task force still has a role in coordinating supplies, um, veterinary skills, veterinary nursing skills, wildlife carers and those sorts of things are still happening. We are still working on um, a bigger picture. There's been some more agencies come in under the umbrella of the task force, if you like. Um, And we're very mindful of being involved in any future plans for should there be, you know, another disaster of this this scale mm. um, and working with the other agencies to make sure A, that they know we're there, B, to make sure we've got a response that we can roll out very quickly where everybody knows their roles and knows their jobs. Yep. We, um, last time we spoke, you said the, the um, um, supplies and the offers of, of support were just inundating um, the task force and the, the biggest job then was to try and get all that sorted out are you still being uh, able supported by the uh, profession and others in terms of dealing with what's happening now weeks later um yes we are there's still still good support the the outpouring of actual 
things has reduced and we've had you know considerable donations now particularly from from individuals from mm-hmm. um companies from manufacturers and they're actually donating funds having emptied their warehouses and the funds are actually more relevant at this stage so we can target um specific things that are needed dressings are different dressings and things are needed now wounds are down the track etc yeah. and so the 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 provision of actual money is a little more useful than things but yes people are still offering there's still there's up to about 400 volunteers still on a list who are now coordinated with the particular skills that they can provide um, wow. so we can get them where they're needed and yeah. so that's all still happening we even have people who sort out the warehouses full of stuff that come in um because that in itself is a big job just sorting through what gets donated yeah, yeah. It, apart from the actual delivery of care, but the getting the care, uh, getting the um, resources to the areas mm. that they're needed. Absolutely. Exactly. exactly. Um, that's fantastic about the number of people still, obviously having such a big role. What um, what role then do you see for this effort in terms of rebuilding the communities? Obviously, there's infrastructure that's been destroyed and people's lives, and we've talked about the animals themselves, but. Mm. Does the task force have a role in terms of helping to get people back on their feet through their Ab- animals? Um, absolutely, very much so, David. We're, we're providing a great deal of support to the local vets who are in areas that have been affected in any way, whether severely or in a minor way. So the AVA task force is supporting those vets to keep them in their practices, to keep their practices functioning to keep the practice financially supported. Um, yep. We've got business management people talking to them. We've got counsellors out talking to um, people in veterinary clinics so that they can keep up their work to the community because the particularly domestic pets um, are very, very important to the people living in the, the, the towns that have been affected, Maryville and Kinglake. Um, and also we're working with people providing services to the, um, the large animals, stock people and they've got all sorts of issues with lack of fences and therefore different injuries and different management issues with mm. with their animals. So yeah. we very much aware of trying to keep people in their vets in their communities so that people can come back to their into their communities with their pets and the whole thing works. So there's the supply of kennels, supply of leads, provide provision of buckets to feed your horse in, you know, all that sort of further rolling out stuff that goes yep. beyond putting the bandages on yeah i mean it's, it's just those little details that that are so important the um i was lucky enough to um chat to norm blackman who's been appointed as the head of the task force mm. and one of the things which you mentioned before was about future disaster planning and uh, is the veterinary profession and the whole industry or if you like the importance of this being recognized now at a higher level in terms of the future planning I think we are very much so. We're putting ourselves forward to be there because this particular incident, this fires of the 7th of Feb, have really shown how much work can be done and is needed to be done by vets and their nurses and the other community people who care for wildlife, domestic pets, livestock. Yeah. Um, so working, getting all the agencies together and, and making sure there's uh, coordinated response is, is really important and we've got our hands up and been well recognised as part of this because you know, people's animals, whether they be livestock or pets, are so important to their lives personally and to community as well. 
Mm, well, for so many people that they walked away with the clothes on their back and their pet dog and that was about it. So, yep. But lots of cats have been appearing. We keep hearing stories of cats that keep appearing and it's coming out of, you know, all not burnt, not damaged, just dusty and dirty and hungry and thirsty. Yep. Uh, and if they've got microchips in them, they're back to their owners within moments and it's just Oh, that's wonderful. fantastic. That's fantastic news. Look, Roslyn, we really do appreciate your time and um, spending today with us to give us an update. And, um, look, we'll hope that uh, everything continues to roll along and we'll keep things updated over the next months. We know this is going to take a long time. So thanks again for your time today. You're welcome, David. Thank you. Thanks, Roslyn. Thanks, Roslyn, and she's the president of the Australian Veterinary Association. Victorian Division. Victorian yep. Division. And you're listening to Pet Chat on 2NURFM. 49216216 is the number that will get you through to us. We've got a line or two free now, so give us a call if there's something you want to know about your pet, and we'll see what we can do about finding a, an answer. Danny Boss, you've got some things that are happening in the area. So a few little events that I wanted to talk about, plus a bit of pet news. Uh, first of all, Newcastle Budgie Club meeting is on tonight, uh, which is the fourth Friday of the month at 7.30pm at the Maryland Neighbourhood Centre. So if you're interested in budgies and want to talk to some breeders, please do so at the Newcastle Budgie Club meeting. As we discussed, we've got the Fife Club doing their exhibition and display at the Pet Shop Boys uh, store at Mayfield West, just off Industrial Drive. So that's happening on Saturday and Sunday from 10am to 2pm. Lots of twittering happening there. <laughs> that's right. And just don't forget, if you are an organisation that's got anything that you want to, any event that you want to plug on our show that's related to pets, please email us at petchat. I should say it again, petchat at 2NURFM.com. So that's petchat at 2NURFM.com. Just email us any community events that's relating to pets. We're happy to talk about them and promote them for you. And, of course, it's worth mentioning here that we uh, this show is available by podcast from the 2NURFM.com website. website. I download it just to listen to myself talk. I'm... <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> but this man knows so much about things. Give him a call if you've got a question you for your You have a pet. reason. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> now, in, thanks, Dave. You've thrown me off now. Uh, look, one thing about pets is the New South Wales government is encouraging pets to go on a holiday to save our tourism industry. Did you know that, Jane? Oh, that sounds excellent. What what the reason is, is having a pet, there's no reason to cut a holiday in New South Wales short, according to the new tourism New South Wales campaign highlighting pet-friendly holiday destinations. And basically, they've worked out that if people who have got pets stay an extra day... Um, to, to on holidays, it'll generate something like $93 million of tourism money in New South Wales, which is a really big amount. And so what they've done is, if you go to www.visitnewsouthwales.com on that website, you will find lots of different things that you can do with pets in terms of having a holiday. You'll find pet-friendly accommodation, beaches that are leash-free, parks that are leash-free, camping areas that accept uh, dogs and other pets, dog walking and grooming services, tips for travelling with pets, and also maps of Sydney pooch trails that you can download. So you can take your pet 
with you to any of these kind of locations, which is very helpful. There's also information of different boarding kennels and, and arrangements that you can do with having your pet stay with someone else while you are having a holiday and therefore encouraging tourism throughout the state. Isn't that a nice thing? What was that website again? The website is www.visitnewsouthwales.com. Okay. Very easy. Visitnewsouthwales.com. Excellent. And one other article that I thought was quite interesting was the price of a new pup. Now, uh, yes. one issue is is that at the moment, due to the harsher financial economic times, some people are feeling the need that they need to rehome their pets because it's getting a bit expensive to look after them. So this was a brief summary in terms of looking at what are the costs that you need to look at if you were interested in, in buying a pup and what you need to be prepared to put aside. Now, it goes from buying the puppy, which could be anything if it's a, it's a purebred dog, could be anything from 800 to about $2,000. The, the puppy needs you will need at the beginning, which are like vaccinations, harnesses, uh, bed bowls and so forth, that could be about $200 all up. Uh, registration of about $40. Desexing could be around $300. Puppy preschool, which is important, $150. Food for the year, uh, vet checks, insurance, uh, walking and daycare, if you're interested in that, if you're a full-time worker and you want some uh, your puppy or your dog to have some uh, recreation throughout the day and not be by themselves. And also taking into account that if you want to have a holiday and you can't take your dog with you, there's an expense of you know putting your 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 dog away at a boarding facility for seven nights there, which they estimate around two hundred and forty five dollars. So all up in the first year, you could be looking at around three thousand eight hundred and thirty dollars for for your new pup. So that's something to have a look at, and I thought that was quite interesting to have a look at that article. Very interesting. Now I heard the other day of a case where uh, a family has a child has a number of children, and one of the children is really quite uh, scared of dogs. Quite Quite young but quite scared of dogs and the family decided to buy a dog to have as a pet to help the child get over this phobia and uh, so this involves visits to puppy school all together to make yes. sure that they're binding and things like that do you see this being a good way of helping a phobia like this david uh, you've got uh, some reservations yeah yeah you okay. can see that what, what are the reservations you'd have Kids generally, and well, a lot of adults, but kids generally can't read dogs' body language. So under the age, you should always supervise children with pets. Never leave them alone because dogs always give you a lot of warning if there's going to be a problem. And children, I guess it depends on the degree of uh, the fear, phobia factor. And there's certain breeds that are going to be more suitable in that environment. So you do have to be very careful about breed selection mm -hmm. as well. Um, and But the idea of going into, uh, say, puppy preschool, what happens in that environment is that there's the puppy starts to learn basic obedience and the family also gets a lot of education in terms of their how to look after the pup. As Danny was saying, you've got to do all these things. So you get, you get all that hand delivered to you and it's a great little environment. It also helps to establish the puppy in that household because it goes from a litter where it's part of a group and it goes to a new group as in a family and so it's litter mates if you like is the the uh other kids in the family and so on but the dog grows very quickly kids don't grow so quickly they take a long time so dogs grow very quickly to maturity and sometimes they start their behaviors then start to you know go beyond 
that normal hierarchy. And it's very important that uh, everyone has a good knowledge of the behaviour of dogs, a good basic knowledge, and also dogs' body language. And that's probably where we see when problems occur, um, people describe what happens, and you say, well, that's the dog actually telling you. You know, before he got a bit aggressive or got upset, he was giving you lots of warning. So um, what are the things to look out for, these warning signs? Yeah, well, dogs will often, uh, if they're not happy with the situation, they might try and retreat from the, that environment and try and move to the other you know, so, side of the room, go outside or whatever. But the other things they'll do is they tend to turn away from you. They will, uh, Their ears will go back. They will tend to drop their hindquarters as well. Um, and then the next step they escalate that up is they might then bear their lip and lift their lip up a little bit, and that might then be followed by a growl. Um, and there's, you know, steps one, two, three, and then finally if push comes to shove, they might turn and snap and so on. And um, obviously that can have dangerous consequences. Um, I agree with, with Dave in regards to making sure that <coughs> when you have got children that you pick the right breed of dog for your family it is very important and then even in those breeds you need to talk to the breeders who are breeding for a temperament that will most probably be totally fine with your kids at a younger age just uh had an email a few days ago only from uh, a puppy buyer that bought a Weimarana puppy from us and the pup's only 16 weeks old now and she was saying she's got a six-year-old and a four-year-old and the four-year-old was a bit timid towards dogs but absolutely now loves the puppy and their best friends they get along really really well but um, maybe but the relationship will change and the the thing about breeds is there are breeds that are probably more friendly and will tolerate a bit more but just remember is that any dog can bite and so um, you know, it's the circumstances that lead to that. There are some, when I'm describing those steps uh, that dogs go through, those phases, some dogs that can be drawn out and they, they're quite happy to tolerate and they'll give you a growl after four hours of a kid pulling on their tail and other dogs it's 40 seconds. Mm. So it can be very shortened or it can be stretched out and you want to be aware of what your dog is like um, before, you know, you're, you're happy that the kids are there to play with the dog. Mm. You're listening. Good yeah. point. Good point. Yeah, yes. good one. Because, yeah. of course, the dog in the household, the puppy, is not necessarily the dog that's caused the fright, the fear in the first place. No, no, of course not. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, you know, I think that um, dogs can be very beneficial for kids. They're a great companion and great play, you know, playmates and so on. So there's a lot of positives there. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, you do have to be careful. But there's things like puppy preschool and breed selection that help you get there and talk to your vet and breeders about, you know, how to get around those problems. And you're on to a new RFM 103.7. Pet Chat is the program. Now, David, um, you've got a little bit of a warning note to do with the weather. Yes, yes. Look, it's a much nicer day today, but just be aware, last week we've had some warm days and we had a couple of patients come in who um, had been exercised just in the sort of late afternoon, actually, um, when thought to be safe, but uh, the dogs had become overheated quite easily and suffered heat stroke. Now, this is quite devastating. Um, the dogs uh, suffered brain damage, bone marrow damage. One of the dogs has died. And um, so we've, we we did a lot of work with them and we thought we were getting there. But um, 
unfortunately, like 24 hours later. So the impact of it, actually, it, it does so much damage to the gut. Look, the gut, the brain, the bone marrow, the liver, the spleen. So this was just over a couple of hot days that we had the other week? Well, just, um, you know, a, a run around, a, you know, 5, 6 o'clock at night. Right. So it does, and here's, this is my theory, is that what happens is these dogs are sitting there all day, quite comfortable, mm-hmm. warm day, and internally in their body they're building up some heat, mm. okay? But they're coping because they're not doing much, they've got water there. But their threshold, they're getting very close, and what happens is they exercise, they generate more heat. Now, dogs pant, we've talked about heat stress before, they can't sweat, so the only way they get rid of heat is to pant, and there's a limit to the amount that they can mm. decrease their body temperature. So if they're generating more heat than what they can get rid of, the internal building, yeah, yeah the internal body temperature. And dogs are normally like thirty eight and a half degrees, thirty nine, and they actually went. These dogs were like forty two degrees. Mm. Wow! So just be careful. Um, because, uh, you know, shorter runs, particularly if uh, dogs aren't used to that sort of exercise, they may not tolerate. And make sure you hose them down afterwards to help them cool. Plenty of fresh water, of course. So is drinking the water more important than hosing them down to cool them down? Uh, no, both. Both. Both, both um, inside they, ne- they do need to drink. But um, some dogs, if they drink and then vomit, to me that would be a sign that they've actually got heat stress. If they're uncomfortable and they just can't get up or they stop during the exercise don't push them you need to stop get on your phone and ring someone to come pick you up because if you push the dogs any further they will um overheat for my dogs on on hot uh, days where i think they need some cooling is i've got some cooling coats and what it is it's a coat that you can soak in water it then has uh a special ingredient inside the coat between the layers that soaks it up and stays cool for about four or five hours. And that really does help them. Yeah, Yeah, the biggest thing I usually tell people is that when they ring, if this is the case, I say, hose the dogs, Mm. put them in the car, leave the windows open because the moving air evaporates the water and cools their skin. If you actually put ice on them or very cold water, what happens is that their blood vessels going to the skin... If you feel their skin, it's really hot. And if you make them uh, too cold, what happens is the blood vessels shut down and it turns all that hot blood goes back inside and they actually start to shiver, Mm. even though they're really hot. So just normal tap water. Just give them a good hose. And now, are you both off to the show right now? Oh, yeah. The Newcastle show? I've got to fill up on um, Pluto Pups and Fairy Floss. (laughs) (laughs) Pluto Pup, haven't had one of those for a while. I've got to go and watch Danny. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) See how his dogs go. That's great. Good luck with that. And that brings Pet Chat to a close today. Everybody's at the show, obviously. We'll be back next Friday after the midday news on 2NURFM.